we are doing a series on relationships called power couples. The idea is how do you have a super marriage? What are those pieces that you need to do, those muscles you need to exercise in order to get there? Last week we talked about the power of intentionality, right? The importance of intentionally prioritizing your marriage. Number one priority in your life, your relationship with Jesus. Number two, it's with your spouse. We talked about also the importance of serving your spouse. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but it was kind of fun on social media. I saw different ones mentioned, hey, this got mentioned at church, and you're not going to guess what my spouse did this week. It's good, right? And I hope that you did that. This week, we're going to talk about the power of vision. And to me, this is, this is one of the most important pieces. But it really leads into next week when we talk about the power of oneness. You know, we read how God said, for this cause a man leaves his father's mother, cleaves to his wife, they become one. And, and, and when you can get to that point in your marriage, uh, the power of oneness is, is just so important. But it really begins with the power of vision. We were, you know, as a nation, actually able to be reminded of that this week. Uh, we, we celebrated Martin Luther King's birthday, right? He came, he had a vision of a better America. A, a vision, probably best put, that men are not judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character, correct? He moved the nation. Now, are we where we need to be yet? No. But he moved us a long way. It's the power of vision. The vision of having an idea of where, where it is that we want to go. So I want to use as a text this morning a little book in the book of Amos. Now I know we don't get there. It's a minor prophet. If you, you know, as a little kid learned the, the Bible books, it's, you know, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos. That's where you get it. Amos chapter 3. So if you got it, or better yet, pull it up on your phone. It's a lot easier. Uh, Amos chapter 3 verse 3 is what I want to look at. What it says in the New American Standard is, Do two men walk together unless they have made an appointment? In the New Living Translation, it puts it like this. Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Now, to understand, Amos is a prophet to, the Old Te- to, to uh, Judah before they went into captivity. And really, it's the first of seven cause and effect statements. And his point here is this. You see the effect. You see two people walking together. How did they get there? There was an agreement on their direction. There was an appointment that was made. There was a cause that created the effect. And his point to them is this. You see all of the judgment of God. And the reason is that's the effect. The causes come because you've rebelled against him. But I want to take this part of the cause and effect. Do two people walk together without there having been an agreement, without their sensing going in the same direction? And to me, this is, if you were to ask me the number one, well, let me put it a different way. I walk into ministry and I started asking, having people ask me to marry them. And so all of a sudden you got to do premarital counseling, right? So what on God's green earth do you do in premarital counseling that's actually going to prepare them for marriage, right? Especially if you've been down the road a little bit. Uh, 
because you also know they're sitting there in this little bubble. Do you remember, those of you that are married, do you remember what it's like before you got married and you're just all in puppy love, I, you know, this person can do, no, they make me so happy, all that kind of really good stuff, right? And, and so how do you try to like maybe puncture that hole just a little bit and prepare them for, you know, it's maybe not all gonna feel just like this, and then I begin to realize, man, with everything that could come, you, you could do premarital counseling for 15 years, and they're still not going to. And so how, how do you do this? And the more I thought about it, the more I did it, and, and, and as you all know, I am not a counselor. I have references. That's not what I do. Um, and I'm not very good at it, but my sense was, is A, if I could get, teach them how to deal with difficulty when it comes, but even more importantly, if I could get them to talk and to set a vision and to be able to come to that shared agreement, that's what would get them past. That's what would get them past the difficulties. That's what would get them past the disagreement because there is that shared vision. Because a shared vision in a marriage is powerful. Uh, lots that it does. If I could barrel it, narrow it down to the top three things, it creates oneness, it creates perseverance, and it creates communication. Let's take them apart a little bit. Oneness. This idea of oneness is the idea of synergy. It's the idea of harmony. Uh, synergy, you know, is when the basically all the parts working together create a bigger effect than what they could do separately. And if you've ever been in a work environment which was actually healthy and there was a shared vision and everybody brings their strength to the table and instead of complaining about the other person's weaknesses, we all go, that's my strength, I'm just going to jump in, we're all going to work together and all of a sudden... You, you get an office, you get, get a, a, a job piece that actually really accomplishes something. And it's awesome. I mean, I think about us as a church uh, just last March, right? We, we get the call from Wade and Shannon. Hey, would you guys want to plant a church in Nicaragua? And here we are, you know, most of us aren't church planters, but, you know, we're, we're prayers and we're, we're givers and we got people that are willing to go and we begin to talk about it man the shared vision begin to grow and within what a month month and a half six weeks we'd raise over two hundred thousand dollars we sent in fact just sent a team by the way did you hear this last week there in the bible school they had 20 professions of faith this week yeah no no and what's well, even better yet so this is the coolest story of them all so if you remember sorry this is a side but if you remember the reason this church plan even happened was there was a young lady who was attending the church in Lyon who could no longer travel over to Lyon. So they came and said, hey, could you have Bible study in my backyard, right? This little Bible study grew from 20 to 40 to 60 and then found out there's no evangelical churches. That's all happened. Well, her mom, who actually lives in her backyard, did all the cooking for the Bible studies, done all the cooking for these church events, her mom had not come to faith in Jesus until this week. And I believe it was Thursday that she invited Jesus to be her Savior. Isn't that cool? Yeah. It, it's just awesome. And, and, and so, 
man, it's sinner. And when that happens in your marriage, man, that's powerful. And I can remember, and I've told you the story of Tammy and I. Uh, you know, I had this little baby boy. My, my first wife had passed away. I moved to Phoenix. I'm here. He's about a year old. Uh, Tammy and I have become friends. But my heart, I've told you that whole story, how the one day it's like God pulled back the, the, the blind. And, you know, I gave her the talk of saying, listen, I'm not looking for a girlfriend. I'm looking for a wife and a mom. You in for that journey to see, figure it out, right? <laughs> Mr. Lance Romance, right? And, uh, and so that began, uh, you know, and the funny thing, what was it? Maybe two weeks? It didn't take us all that long. But for those two to three weeks, it was long walks. It was long walks around that neighborhood where she lived over in Paradise Valley. And it was about this idea of what does life look like? What do you foresee? What, what in your heart? What does marriage look like? You know, for those of you who don't know, she was teaching school, so she's a school teacher. But the big thing is she was a basketball coach. Now, of course, you think Tammy, four foot eleven in basketball. You kind of got to know her history. Uh, she grew up in the Philippines. Her folks were missionaries there. Uh, the Filipinos a love basketball. Secondly, they're all somewhat vertically challenged too. So, you know, she grew up loving basketball. And so that she coached at that time, she was coaching Paradise Valley High School's girls team. Uh, the year before she had become their coach, they were 0-22. Good thing is there's only one way to go, right? But she was a good coach. She coached them for that, I think, was her fourth year uh, coaching them. They went to the semifinals in state that year. So the question becomes, hey, are you wanting to coach basketball? Where is this going? What does this look like? And she began to share, you know, my dream has always been to be a stay-at-home mom. And I went, man, I'm good with that. Now, again, that's not a right or wrong. It's just that was her vision and tying it in with mine. And, and as you're sharing vision, there's pieces that, hey, this is important to me. Well, this is important to me. I, well, I can compromise on this but building this shared vision and, and then you know for me one of the important things for me is is this is what I do this is my heart I love the church and, and the pastors what God's called me to do and, and honestly there's lots of ways to do this I have a lot of pastor friends that quite honestly their 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 wives you know love the church but they're really not very involved you know, they, they have a career, they do other things, and, and that's fine. It's not a right or wrong, but I don't want to do this by myself. I, I'm looking for, I want somebody who's, who's in the trenches with me. I want to do this as a partnership, and, and that was her heart, and we talked about it. And, and, and so it became this shared vision for us about this. Folks, this is so important. I, I truly believe that this building of oneness, this synergy is so important that not only should you do this in premarital counseling, or if you haven't and you're already married, you need to do it. But I think as a married couple, at least once a year, you ought to get away for a night or two by yourselves and talk about these pieces. Hey, how are we doing? Where, where you know, are we, are we still aiming at the same thing? It's important. A second thing a shared vision does is it builds perseverance. And by that, I mean tenacity, the commitment to stick it through. Because you and I all know life never happens like you plan, right? It's never as easy. It's always harder. And one of the things we begin to find out is we got married and, you know, we're trying to do this on one income and one income of a pastor of a small church. And, and, uh, and now there's a family of five. It's, it's hard. 
And that led to us, before I married her, in fact, before I moved out here, I, I had bought a 1988 Dodge Caravan. And I, I brought it brand new. And that caravan went, and it went, and it went. And I, man, I think we were in the early 2000s, and we had 212, 13,000 miles on that thing. And it's like, it's, we'd replaced the transmission. We had replaced, you know, all this. And, and then God threw us a bone. It was wonderful. It was great. My, sadly, my grandpa, they had to take his car away from him. So I stepped up to now a 1987 <laughs> Chrysler New Yorker. Do you remember those? I was the youngest guy driving a grandpa car you'd ever seen. But, you know, it, it was free. It was good. But you know what? Hey, we had a vision of what we wanted our home and our family and her being home with the kids to look like. It was good. It, it, it was important. And, uh, and it perseveres. And to be honest with you, there were moments of ministry where there was more pain in the ministry than there was joy, but, but we had this vision of what we believe God had called us to. And, and the cool thing is, is, you know, here, you know, we just celebrated 25 years in a place that we love and a heart, you know, a church that's serving Jesus and seeing people come to faith in Christ and planting churches, not only in Nicaragua, but out here in Waddell. And, and man, that's exciting. We've got three kids who today are all adults. They're all walking with Jesus. We've got three, soon to be four grandkids that are being raised with the same values that we had. It's good, but it's that shared vision that gives you the perseverance the third thing is it builds com communication because you don't edict a shared vision, right? Have any of you ever been in a workplace where they came and told you what your shared vision was and you were supposed to be on board? How did that go over? Not well. No, a shared vision has to be shared. It, has, it, it takes communication. It takes back and forth. It, it takes you sharing your heart. And in a marriage, and there has to be compromise. In fact, that's why this is so important, I think, to try to do uh, before you get married. Because, you know, sometimes there might be some things that, that you're not willing to compromise on. And then that gives you wisdom. Hey, maybe this isn't the person I should marry. Once you're married, you got to figure out the compromise, right? But you got to work towards that. And here's the other thing. This isn't like a 10-minute, oh, hey, got a shared vision. We're good to go. Check that box. No, this takes time. It takes energy. But it also, it also takes time to continually to revisit. Because I don't think the shared vision ever changed. But what changed was the moment in the seasons of our life where different parts of it came into focus in a new way. Uh, she is a school teacher. We knew she could do that. But we liked the partnership in ministry. And so we started with what do we do with our kids when, when it came school age? Do we send them to school? Do we homeschool? Do we send them to private school? And every year we would go and we'd have that discussion. And then they've rolled from there into heading towards college. And one of the things that we talked about, we really didn't want our kids coming out of school with, with student loan debt. So how are we going to do that? How are we going to figure that piece out? And now is, you know, we're past that stage. And now we're into, you know, what does life look? How can we build legacy into our grandchildren? 
And so different pieces become sharp. So, so it's that ongoing conversation, but it creates that communication in your heart. So let me give you what I would consider five principles that, to help you start trying to figure this thing out uh, as you look at this. First of all, let me talk to those of you that are still single uh, because honestly, this is a little easier for you, and that is if you can kind of go into relationships, having thought about this yourself, what, what has God put upon your heart to do? What has is, what is he gifted you to do? What calling has he put on? What's important? You know, we talked last week when, you know, setting those parameters of what's important to you. Because here's the thing. There's always in a shared vision going to be compromise. But when you're still dating, you know, again, you can say, hey, maybe this isn't going to work. This isn't important. Whereas when you're already married, yeah, we got to figure this out. So if you're single, man, start thinking through this. If you're already married and you even haven't had these discussions yet, they need to start. What does it look like? Secondly, your vision has got to be what you want to accomplish who you want to be. What does this look like? Fulfilling your purpose. This isn't about stuff. This isn't about, you know, a bank account. This is about what do I believe God's called me to do? And especially from a Christian perspective, you and I know that, that God has put a calling on all of our lives, right? We're all to go make disciples. Wherever we're at, that's what we're called to do. We're all gifted uniquely. And so what does it look like? How, how does I want that to play out in my life? What do I believe God has called me to do? Remember what he says there in Ephesians? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All right. So your vision is, what do I want to, what do I want to do? How do how, who do I want to become in the kingdom of God? What kind of legacy do I want to leave? What do we want to leave as a family with our children and following after the Lord? What does this look like? And because of that, your vision has to, it has to be noble. This can't be about stuff. You know, you, you talk to people today in the secular world and, you know, their vision, and their vision often deals with stuff. It deals with a bank account. You know, I want this much money, or I want this kind of a house, or I want to be able to drive this kind of a car. And again, there's nothing wrong with that, except that if that's your vision, that, that's not going to produce what your heart wants. In, in fact, to be honest with you, in my experience, some of the most miserable people, and I am not mean miserable to be with, but just miserable people, they're just not happy, they complain, they're grouchy. Man, they got lots of money, they got lots of stuff. But it didn't deliver for them what they promised because their vision wasn't about how were they going to impact lives? How were they going to serve Jesus? How were they going to leave a lasting impact? And so your vision has to be what's noble. You know, as a family, how are we going to serve the Lord together? How are we going to, what do we want to see our kids do in their relationship with Christ? How are we going to make this happen? That's part of your vision. Colossians says this, set your mind on the things above 
and not on the things of this earth. Man, it's that true worldview that we as Christians have. So when we get down towards that end, as Paul did, can we say, I've fought the good fight. I've finished my course because we knew what it was. We had the vision of what we believe God had put upon our heart. Number four is your vision needs to touch all of your life. In fact, I would suggest that you need to start with the end in mind. Now, I know our, our culture, we don't like to think about the end. I, I get that. The Bible says there's wisdom in that, though. Because here's the thing. So I'm doing life today. Tammy and I are doing life today, and we're confronted with decisions that we have to make. It's just decisions in life. And, and if this is what I'm looking at, and I'm trying to make the best decision today— the reality is, is that it's easy maybe to turn just a degree, and it doesn't seem like that big of a thing. When you extrapolate that, though, 20 years out, you're way off course. So if you fix the point 20, 30, 50 years down the line, this is what we want our marriage to look like. This is what we want our kids to look like. This is what we believe God has called us to do. Then that gives me reference for how I make decisions today. And, and that's a huge piece. And, and that's where we lean into the Lord and we ask for his direction as we, as we set this thing up. And so a, a vision is both discovered. Maybe it's that thing that God, you just know God has laid upon your heart. Maybe you don't know what that thing is God has laid upon your heart. And so for you, it's, it's maybe even more of a crafted vision. As you talk and you share, and, and now you, you intentionally try to develop it. Now we're compromising and we're working and we're, 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 we're crafting this vision for what we want our marriage to look like what we want our home to look like, what we want to be doing down the line. You know, when we get to that point of retirement, how many mission trips do we want to take? How, how, what is this going to look like? And now we are going to live intentionally. And here's the beauty of it. If you don't know this piece, it, 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 you know, maybe you're not like me. And I, I grew up, time I was knee-high to a bullfrog, I knew what I wanted to do. I, I, I wanted to preach. I wanted to be able to study God's word, open it, and share it. it. Okay? I realize not everybody has that peace that is so strong that they know. But here's what I do know. If you will lean into the Lord saying, God, what, what do you want me to do? What do you want us to do? You seek him. He is going to guide your steps. I love Psalm 121. In fact, I shared it with my nephew who was moving today to start his kind of his first job out. And this was the very passage I gave him. It's Psalm 121. I will lift up my eyes into the mountain. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who, by the way, made the heavens and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. Lean into the Lord. Seek him together. Man, I think that this idea of finding the shared vision is often what God does to help crowd us to him. That verse that we looked at last week in Proverbs chapter 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will. He will, he will make your path straight. It's a promise. Seek him. 
find that vision. If I maybe could end this morning with some questions that you might want to begin to ask, think about, uh, that will help you get to this. Number one is, what excites your heart? You know, today, if today you could go do anything you could do, and, and money wasn't an object, and education wasn't an object, and, and whatever you think is holding you back, what would you do? Is there something, that, man, just really excites you? Maybe that's that piece, and maybe it's not something you can do today, but if that's where you want to be and your spouse, and, and you see this as a shared vision, okay, so what step do we need to take to start moving that way? Give you direction. Number two, what is it you believe God's put upon your heart to do? You know, maybe there's been a burden for reaching a group of people. Maybe it's the homeless. Maybe it's people with disabilities, serving them well. Maybe it's, it's unwed mothers. I don't know. But it's just something that God has put upon your heart that, that is just there that, that he would want. And, and may, it's kind of interesting. Uh, man, just a week or so, uh, something was just kind of stewing in my heart. And uh, one, sometimes, you know, the question is, when something's stewing in my heart, is it the Lord or was it the pizza, you know? Uh, and, and one of the things that I find is obviously uh, the great check for me is my wife, you know, because we have a shared vision. And so let me run this by her. What, what does her got? It was really interesting when I said, hey, I've just been kicking this around. What do you think? And she goes, you know, I've been thinking the exact same thing. It's a wonderful piece. What maybe we believe God is maybe asking us in this moment to do. If you're married, then here's the question. What do you want your marriage to look like? So in premarital counseling, this is what I would ask them to start talking about. I'd try to drag out of them. This is what I would ask you. So, so in your marriage, what do, in 20 years, what do you want your marriage to look like? You say, Steve, we've already been married for 20 years. Great. You're going to make it to 40? So what do you want it to look like in 20 years? What do you want your relationship to be like? How you're relating? What do you want your family to look like? How are you, you know, if you haven't started yet, how are we going to raise kids? What, how, how do we think about discipline? How do we think about how are we going to teach them the, the truths of the Lord? How is this going to play out? How are we going to deal with money? How, are, how generous do we want to be? I think it's an important piece in intimacy. You know, you get two people going to marriage and they got completely different ideas of what this intimacy piece looks like. It doesn't end well really often. So what, what does that intimacy piece for us? I, I can remember telling Tammy, I mean, because of, you know, it's just me, I, I like to do things, that I like to, you know, as a team, it's us against the world, and because of that, I love to hold hands. And, and I told her, I said, you just, you know, you got to be good with that because that's important to me. She said, I'm good with it. So the other day, in fact, it was last week, we were driving down the road, and we're just sitting there holding hands. We do it in the car all the time. And I went, hey, 30 years, I'm still good, right? I didn't lie to you. It's important. But it was important to me. It became important to her. It's what do we want our marriage to look like? Let me put it another way. Another way you can ask this question. And uh, I, I picked this number 
randomly, don't let it affect you if, if it comes across negative. <laughs> but I had to pick a number. So some of you are looking back at 65, right? <laughs> so the point being, and I'll tell you why I picked the number, but wherever you are, just add 10, right? Just add 10, it's fine. The reason I picked 65 is that for some reason, and when the reason is for our culture, Social Security. But for some reason in our culture, we look at 65 as when you retire, right? It's not, I actually checked, it's not a law, all right? So it's not a right or wrong. But the question is, what do you want to do, okay? That, that's that, you know, basically you turn 21 and then the next big one is 65, right? So what... Now, for some of you, it's, man, I want to be long retired and go, you know, doing this. Great. Is your spouse on board? What is that going to look like? I mean, there's, honestly, I think only so much golf and ceramics you can do, all right? So, so what is it going to look like? For others of you, hey, 65, we're going to be rolling in retirement. That's going to be a great age. Great. So is life over? What are you going to do? What are you preparing to do? How many times do you want to go to Nicaragua after you turn 65, right? You want to move down there, be a missionary? Cool. What's the vision? And there's others that are probably like me going, man, I've got, I've got a lot left in a tank. I don't, I don't want to, you know, so what's that? It's not a matter of being right or wrong. It's just a matter of what do we want this to look like. And coming to that shared vision and letting that shared vision build oneness, letting it build perseverance, and letting it always build communication in our life. Oneness is huge because it drives us on. In fact, I couldn't help but think the thing that drove Jesus was his vision. Remember that? He said, I came to seek and to save the lost. Hebrews 12 put it like this. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. You see, Jesus had a vision that you and I would know him, be reconciled to him, and that took him all the way to the cross to pay for our sins. That brought him all the way from heaven to this earth that he could become one of us. Peter puts it like this, for Christ also died for sins, once for all, the just for the unjust, so that, remember cause and effect? Here's the cause. So that he might bring us to God. His great heart, the reason he came was that you could know him and his forgiveness. If you've never accepted him, you can do it today.